We've been doing a series over the last number of weeks called Get Ready. We're looking at three chapters from the Gospel of Luke, looking at the transforming words of Jesus. He's been teaching how his followers can get ready with the right attitudes and perspectives to do all that God has for them. I'm very grateful for the speakers who've joined me on this journey. Joshua encouraged us to get ready for Jesus' coming. Pastor Warren, he challenged us to do something with the investment Jesus has made in us. Rachel, who looked at the way the teaching of Jesus can grow his kingdom inside of us. And Pastor John's excellent challenge to lay down our excuses and follow Jesus. Tonight, we're going to look at a scripture which I think sums up all we have been talking about. We do have sermon notes, so if you've got the Uversion Bible app, you can go to the events section and you can have a look for C3 Christchurch or search this address and it should hopefully uh, come up there. We're going to be looking, if you can't find that, at Luke 14, 25 to 35. While you're doing that, I just want to talk to you about being in a crowd. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a crowd that was really excited for an event? but it didn't turn out the way they thought, and then the crowd turned bad. Maybe you saved up your hard-earned money and went to see your favourite sports team, but they didn't play well. In fact, they were awful, and instead of cheering, the crowd started booing them. You ever been part of something like that before, seen that happen? I once went to a music festival in Scotland, of all places, Everyone was looking forward to the headline act. So we waited through these other bands until the headline act finally was next. But then the stage setup just seemed to go on and on and on. It took absolutely ages. And it was about 11 p.m. by the time the band actually came out. And we were so tired of, of standing. We were so tired of waiting. Anticipation had turned to impatience. Finally, the band came out, and they had a real bad night. The sound wasn't great. The lead singer got annoyed because the crowd was clapping on one and three instead of two and four. I don't know, what is it with musicians? Or is it the other way around? I always get it wrong. I can't remember. Something was, but anyway, something was off. So the crowd did what a crowd at a festival will do when things aren't so great. They didn't boo. They just left. You could see them go out the back doors and into their cars, tired and disappointed after a big day and really sad about the way that it had ended. Now, the band actually tried their best. They acknowledged things weren't going as smooth as they wanted, but promised that their biggest hits were yet to come. But three quarters of the way through the concert, the space had emptied out and I could just feel it around me. You know when you're in a concert and everyone's close to you? Well, by three quarters of the way through, I mean, I could do this, which is about as good as my dancing gets. So I was happy. I was like, I'm in. When things don't go well, crowd people disappear. The same can be true of faith in Jesus. If we're just in the crowd, then we will be tempted to walk out on this following Jesus thing. In today's passage, Jesus has a few things to say to crowd people. And we shouldn't be surprised that in these words, Jesus is quite provocative. It's kind of his style. But he didn't give them an apology for going, hey, guys, I know this is tough. And he didn't promise them good times. In fact, he did the opposite. Now, Jesus loved the crowds. He had compassion on them. But he did not want them to stay as crowd people. 
He didn't want them to stay on the outside. He invited them to become connected people, to become disciples. And that's something we should want too, right? Not to be on the outside, but to be connected. Not to be crowd people, but to be disciples. So the last thing we need to get ready is the mindset of a true follower. The thing we need to uh, get rid of is the mindset of a crowd person. Here is why. What we are seeing in Western Christianity right now, I think, is crowd people, not true followers of Jesus. This is seen clearly in the young adults who call themselves Christian but do not attend church. There's going to be a, a diagram that comes up on the screen behind me. You may not be able to read all of it, so I'll give you the highlights. They did a, Barna Research did a survey, and they found out that there were uh, 30% of people who called themselves Christians said that attending church is very important. That's the people up on this side. Then there were 48% who fall somewhere in the middle, and 30% who say attending church is not at all important. And why was it not important? And the key thing they said was that I find God elsewhere. The problem is, Barn has also done some research, that people who say that they find God elsewhere do not find God. We know this to be true because uh, the crowd people also say that they don't pray. And they also say that they don't read their Bible. So if they're not finding it in church, and they're not finding it in prayer, and they're not finding it in the Bible, chances are they might be missing it. Jesus would say, don't be a crowd person. You will miss what it's all about. Don't be a crowd person. You will get enough of me to know there's something more, but never receive that something more. Don't be a crowd person. You may be interested, but it's time to get invested. So let's break down what Jesus says and how we can move from being a crowd person to truly being a disciple of Jesus. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 26. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around. So there's the large crowd, and so Jesus has some words for them. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, in other words, if you want to be connected, this is what you've got to do. You must, by comparison, hate everyone else, even your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, this might seem like one of those difficult passages, but it's really not. It may seem extreme. It's like, wow, Jesus told me to hate my mama? If that's what it means to follow him, man, I'm, I'm out of here. But that's what a crowd person would say. But what Jesus is saying here is actually really simple. I don't know about you, but I love life. Does anyone here just think life is just great? There are so many things to love about life. Yeah. Help me out tonight. I want to hear, what is one thing that you love about life? Has anyone got something that they love about life? Big or small? Nachos. Nachos. That's a great thing to love about life. Now, I'm aware if you're on the live stream, you may not be able to see this, but he said nachos. All right, anything else? What do you love about life? What do you love? What's something big or small? Music. Music is good. Friendship. Nature. Absolutely. Who stayed up real late the other night to watch the blood moon? 
No? We have a mother here saying, no, I was asleep. Yeah, the blood moon, was, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that a phenomenon? To see that uh, coming up in the sky, isn't that something to love about life? Anything else? Give me a couple more. Two people said chocolate at the same time. That is awesome. Chocolate, yeah, and chocolate and more chocolate. Cool. Family, absolutely. Your mama, you, you do love your mama. Absolutely. Great. There are all these things that we love about life, and that's good. I don't think Jesus is saying we shouldn't. But I wonder if he kind of did this exercise. He, the Bible doesn't say we did, so I'm making this up right now. But I could imagine Jesus standing in front of the crowd and going, hey, tell me what you love. And they went probably from, from small to big, nachos, music, Friendship, maybe that's quite big. Nature, chocolate, that's pretty big. Family, and he went, all right, all right, all right, family. Okay, cool, we're there. I need you to love me more than that. I need you. You can enjoy that stuff, that's fine, that's fine. But by comparison, you should actually hate those things. And how do you know? How do you know? When you start putting your hope, when you start putting your life satisfaction your purpose in life in these things, then you love them more than Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to love me more than that. And so he tells us what it looks like to move from being in the crowd to being a disciple. And the first thing he says is that crowd people are attached. They put their hope in, their purpose in, Life. They're attached to life and everything that it holds. Whereas disciples are devoted to Jesus. They're devoted to Jesus, and that's what we should be too. And then the second thing is that crowd people look for personal satisfaction. Whereas disciples will follow Jesus no matter the cost. Let's have a look at the next verse of Luke chapter 14. Verse 27. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. These words would not have seemed like a hypothetical reality for them, like they might be for us. Instead, they were real. They were all too real. They would have seen people literally carrying their cross. It was a means of execution, but it was also a means of humiliation. To carry your cross daily was to face the rejection of people around you. There's one thing I know about crowd people. They do not like suffering. They do not like having to give up something. They're in it for what they can get, not what they can give. Let's have a look at another survey from Barna. In particular, we're going to put this up on the screen. I want you to have a look at the right two lines there. They are a comparison between people who call themselves Christians. One side are people who call themselves resilient disciples, those whose values line up with biblical teaching. And then habitual churchgoers, they are crowd people, or they are people who maybe come to church, but don't, their lives don't necessarily line up. There is a big difference in how much they're willing to give to their faith. By praying, 
by reading scripture, by praying with others, by giving money to their place of worship, by attending a small group or a scripture study. The research shows that those who are crowd people won't do as much. And in particular, if you have a look at those who maybe call themselves nomads, they grew up as Christians but only really attend church, you again see an even bigger difference there. So Jesus says you could be a crowd person. Just go for your personal satisfaction. Give minimum effort. Or a disciple and you follow Jesus no matter what. The next one is that crowd people abandon God when it becomes too much. Whereas disciples consider what it takes and they see it through. They consider what it's going to take and they see it through. Luke chapter 14, 28 to 30. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And this brings it home for us. Crowd people get really excited about the idea of something. But then when it when it means that they have to stick around for a while or it's going to cost them something, they disappear. And sadly, they become laughing stops. Like people who leave when their team is losing only for their team to dramatically turn things around and actually win. We had a girl in our youth ministry who started off really strong. She was in our band. She was part of our sort of junior leadership team. She was at Bible studies. Then all of a sudden, we stopped seeing her come to the youth ministry anymore. And we wondered, what happened to her? Where did she go? And then we heard from someone who was at a party, and they overheard a conversation she had. She was drunk at this party. And while she was there, another person, a non-Christian, came up to her and saw her drunk and said, hey, I thought, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were into that God thing. And she said, I was. And she held up her beer and said, I gave it up for this. And the non-Christian, no joke, looked at her and said, that's so sad, and walked off. She was in for a little bit, but then when it all became too much, she was gone. She couldn't see it through. She didn't, she didn't count the cost. She didn't say, you know what, I think I can. I think I'm going to see it through. As much as I know... I know this is going to cost me something. I know that something's going to happen here, but I need to see it through. Number four, crowd people fight against God's rule. Whereas disciples give up their rights to have peace with God. They give up their rights to have peace with God. Let's look at Luke 14, 31 to 33. Jesus says, What king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? Probably don't need much counsel for that, right? 10,000 versus 20,000. 
And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Now, there's a couple of different interpretations of this passage, but the one I think rings most true is that we are the first king. We have the army of 10,000 people. And the second king is God. We have a choice. Will we fight against God's rule? Or will we give up everything we have to make peace with God? If you want to move from the crowd to being committed, then it's time to stop fighting God's rule in your life. Instead, you need to give it all to have peace with him. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The Christian person has no rights. We often talk about the language of rights. Oh, that's unfair, that's unjust, that's not right. But when you become a Christian, you lay that down before God and ask instead for him to do as he will. Peace with God is better than getting what we feel we are owed. And the sad truth is that crowd people who don't give it all to him end up becoming enemies of God. Last one. Crowd people are spiritual consumers. Disciples are spiritual contributors. Excuse my writing. I know it's messy. Let's have a look at these last two verses, verse 34 and 35. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. This is kind of a strange analogy. How does salt lose its flavor? It can't change its chemical composition. Apparently, though, what used to happen was that salt used to sit in damp places and gather water. And then the salt would evaporate, and the salt would evaporate into the air, but it would leave behind a flavorless crystal. The principle here is that those that sit and do nothing with the investment that has been made in them will sit until they lose their zing. And that's what can happen sometimes in our churches. Craig Rochelle wrote this great book called Weird, and he talked about three different kinds of people who are part of church. He said there are, first of all, the drop-ins. They arrive at the last minute and take whatever seat they can get, usually as close to the aisle as possible, and they're out of the car park before the last song even finishes. The second group of people are the absorbers. The absorbers have achieved maximum efficiency at absorbing the church resources. They drink the free coffee, they eat the free biscuits and complain when maybe after church we don't have any, uh, and they come to all the free meals. They take up the majority of the pastor's time and they serve as little as possible. They seem to be part of the backbone of the church because they are always there. And then there are contributors. And that's sometimes hard to uh, differentiate from absorbers, says Craig Groeschel. On the service, they, they behave exactly the same. Apart from they seem to ration the coffee and the cake. They are those who not only come but invest in the vision of the church. 
They serve like crazy any chance they get. They welcome people. They help set up the building. They pay for the absorbers' meals and even pick up the rubbish that the absorbers have dropped. They are weird people. The challenge he leaves very simply is, so which one are you? Are you a spiritual consumer? Are you sitting there? Just that, that zing is getting evaporated into thin air? Or are you a spiritual contributor? Do you believe the church exists for you or do you exist for the church? And that's what I want to challenge us with tonight. Where are you? I don't want us to look at this as a bit of a uh, continuum. I was going to use the word spectrum. I said where, I was going to say, where are you on the spectrum? But Josh very helpfully pointed out to me I might be asking something different if I ask that question. So let's call it a continuum. Where are you on the continuum? If you were to rate yourself right now, are you in the crowd? Or are you a disciple? Where would you call yourself? Maybe, maybe there? Are you attached to this life? Or are you devoted to Jesus? Are you living for your own personal satisfaction? Or are you willing to follow Jesus no matter what, even if there's rejection, even if there's, there's suffering? Will you abandon God when it gets tough? Or will you see it through? Are you fighting against God's rule in some area of your life? Are you saying, God, I'm not doing that. I'm just putting myself, my army against yours. You can do what you want, but I'm not doing that. Or are you giving up your rights to Jesus? Are you a spiritual consumer? Or are you a spiritual contributor? Where do you think you're at tonight? And then how can you move forward? Now, here's my, here's my uh, conviction. I think Jesus would make a horrible musician. I don't know whether he can play an instrument or whether he was a bad singer, but I could just uh, imagine him standing up in front of the crowd and saying these things. Hey, if you want to listen to my music, well, then just hate the people around you by comparison. Uh, you might not like the sound that I produce at times, it might hurt your ears, but stick around anyway. We won't, probably won't play the songs that you love the most. You must do what I tell you, and you need to give me more of yourself than I'm going to give to you. Or at least give me, I don't think we could ever act of Jesus, but you're going to need to give me a lot of yourself. Now, if you went to a music concert like that, most people would walk away. Jesus would not make a very good band leader. And he certainly wouldn't make a good politician. Imagine him standing up the front and saying, vote for me. This is what I want you to do. No one would follow you after this. However, I want you to imagine a different scenario. Imagine that you were a group of rescuers that had to go to a remote village with life-saving medicine. And your campaign leader says, listen, guys, this is going to be tough. If you want to come any further, you need to leave your packs behind. The path from here is too steep to carry all of that stuff. And you better send the last letter home. Some of you may not make it back alive. But we've got this mission. We've got something that we're called to do. We've got people that need saving. Who's with me? Wouldn't you put your hand up and say, yes, I will leave that behind? for the mission to which you've called me.
And as Jesus calls his people, he says, look, we're building a house, right? It's almost like we're fighting a war. We're doing something with flavor and significance. We have a great mission. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's walking towards the cross where he will die, where he will give himself for the lives of many. And those that he knows will stay the course of those who are not crowd people but are disciple people. And I've got to tell you, our world will throw so much at you. There'll be so many times when you'll feel like walking away but you need to make the choice. Am I a crowd person or am I a disciple? Will I give what it takes? I mean, for him, I would face rejection and failure. For the mission he has, I will work and work. For that, I will lay myself down. We all should. One more survey from Barna Group. Barna Group asked people to select the image that feels most like what church should be in the world. I just wanted you to consider these four images. What should church be in the world? One was a picture of Christians smiling round an open Bible. The second was a picture of a person in the gym holding up another person's arms as they were lifting dumbbells. The third was of a doctor visiting a sick person. And the fourth was of a flower being watered. As you consider what it means to be the church in the world. What do you think people said? What do you think was the, the main image? Let's put it up on the screen. Here's what people said. 48% of people, 58% of Christians, said that the image that feels most like what church should be in the world is a group of Christians huddled around a Bible. I was surprised. It's a good image. It's a great image. And part of what it means to be a church a community devoted to God and each other. But if that is all we think this is about, then we have a problem. We are about being something for the world. We are about serving the world, bringing this love of Christ to those who most need it. We want to follow Jesus because there is a mission that he has for us. There is a, a kingdom growing, and we want to go deeper with him. And as Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he asks, will you go? Will you really go all the way on that mission with me? Jesus had a mission to complete, a world to redeem. He wants to make sure that his people were in it and they were going to be in for the long haul. What about us? Can you stand to your feet tonight? And I don't know about you, but I don't think any of us are there. I don't think any of us are, are, are right down here. I certainly am not. And so I know that there are some mindsets that Jesus still needs to challenge in me. There are some things that he needs to deal with. There are some things that he needs to do. And I'm praying, and I'm asking him to change my mindset. To become a contributor, not a consumer. To move out of the crowd and become committed to following Jesus with everything that I have. And I want to challenge you tonight to be that kind of person as well. Start today by being a committed member of the church 
and devote yourself to reading the Bible, to praying, to giving, to attending a small group, praying with others, to getting around alongside Josh, to moving things forward in whatever way, individually and corporately, that looks like. Can we pray tonight? Tonight, why don't you just bring to God what he's challenging you on, where he has led you. And have a think about what's next. What does it look like for you next to move towards discipleship? Bring that before him. Say, God, we need you. Father God, right now, we pray and ask for your presence to come and meet us in this place. We thank you for being so present with us here tonight, Lord God. We thank you for moving us towards you. We thank you that every moment is an opportunity to see you and to see you move. love you, Lord, all of our days, and ask that you would continue to make us more like you, so aware of our failures, so aware of the places we don't match up. And we pray, Father God, that you would come and you'd bring us closer to you.